Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Strong in Suffering Sermon Series, which goes through the book of 1 Peter. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Tonight, we're coming back into our study, and I don't know about you, but the study in Peter has been a helpful one for me. I know that going through it during, uh, during this COVID time really was, uh, was of the Lord, and we started this back, um, I think we started it when we weren't in service back in March, and understanding about how to be strong in suffering and go through trials with God's strength and God's grace, and uh, so we've been going through this, and I know that it's been, uh, it's been helpful. I hope it's helped you like it's helped me. Of course, getting the context of the book of Peter, we know that Peter wrote the book with the emphasis upon understanding grace and strength as you go through life. Uh, the, key, the key passage actually we'll preach on next week, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 and verse 12, Peter wrote and said, I'm writing to you so that you can know that you can be strong in grace when you go through suffering. One man said it this way, and we've covered it each week, that it's not a matter of if you go through suffering, but when, when you go through suffering. Every single one of us are going to go through suffering. And of course, Peter is writing to these early believers that were going through a great, uh, many of them much persecution, and we'll see some of that again tonight, but all of them going through some struggles that no doubt they did not see coming. Uh, Isn't that the truth, that in life we don't plan on our bad times? I don't, I don't know anybody that says, you know, I'm planning on getting a diagnosis of cancer next week. Planning on that. I don't know anybody that says, you know, I'm planning on a car wreck. You know, I'm planning on an economy shutdown so my business has to close. I'm planning on financial ruin in just a few months. Really, we don't plan for those things, but... All of us have those unforeseen circumstances that happen in our life that cause suffering. But then on the other hand, we can cause our own suffering, can't we? Making some foolish decisions, making some irrational choices that lead us down a road that we never wanted to go down, perhaps like a Saul, like we saw this morning. There's another way of suffering, though, and I believe that's the main context of the book of Peter, where Peter writes about the suffering of a believer. People who suffer for being Christians, who suffer for being followers of Jesus Christ, and and suffer because of those unexpected circumstances that happen. We've learned a number of things if you've been with us in our series. I, I won't go through everything, but a couple that kind of stand out to me. We first started the series that uh, what we got in salvation, or we got much more in salvation than what we saw about salvation. First uh, Peter chapter number one, we really never understood. I mean, when you received Christ as your Savior, uh, you did probably didn't think, man, I'm getting a best friend, I'm getting joy, I'm getting peace, I'm going to get uh, that experience and that uh, life that's abundant and filled. You probably didn't think that when you got saved. No, you probably, like me, were just thinking, man, I don't want to go to hell. I want God's forgiveness. I want to have that relationship restored. But now you probably, if you've been saved for any length of time, you might look at your salvation and say, Man, I got a lot more than I thought was involved in this. Man, Jesus is a lot more to me today than he was the day I got saved. Peter writes to them about those things, and he writes to them, hey, what you got in salvation was much, much, much more than what you saw at salvation. I remember the the lesson on just the fact that Christ's suffering and his sacrifice, it affects our relationships. That's chapter number three. It affects our home, and it affects how we deal with other people. And Peter is writing to people saying, hey, even though you suffer, you don't have to take that suffering out on people. It's going to be, and he he actually quotes what David said. We're not going to give railing for railing and accusation for accusation. No, instead, we're going to give blessing. Someone curses me, I'm going to give blessing to them. We heard about that on Thursday night with Pastor Brown. And then last week and the week before last, or not last week, but last message and the message before last, we looked at the idea that perspective affects priorities. That if I view my suffering correctly, it's going to help me have the right priorities through my suffering. And we looked at how I view things changes what I do with it. And perhaps Peter, he's reminding, or Peter, he's helping remind us that if we can have the right perspective in our trials, 
it will help us to have the right priorities through our trials. I'm going to desire to have a right response. I'm going to desire to keep the Lord first. I'm going to desire uh, to make sure my relationship with the Lord is correct. Why? Because I'm having a correct perspective in my suffering. Well, as we come to our study tonight, we're going to find that Peter actually writes to a specific group of people. You ever notice that in Scripture, often the author, God will uh, um, inspire the author to address a specific group. Uh, 1 Peter 3, wives, submit unto your husbands. Husbands, uh, you need to make sure you're loving and honoring your wife as the weaker vessel. Uh, You can go to Ephesians. Paul writes a lot to servants and to masters. Tonight, we're actually going to come, and the group that Peter is writing to tonight is pastors. So tonight, I'm going to invite you to just sit and listen to me preach to me. Because the passage before us tonight is written directly, hey, I want to write to you pastors. I've got some instruction for you. I've got some encouragement for you. I've got some warnings for you, and I want to tell you about the future for you. And so tonight, Peter, he sits down with those pastors, and he takes some time to to help them. But while I'm preaching to me, I think that there will be a lot, th- a lot of things that you can learn as well. And here's why. Pastors are in leadership. Okay? Pastors are in leadership. But every single person is in leadership. Everybody has somebody following them. And so... Everyone is leading, and I believe that tonight's message, while it would help a pastor be a better pastor, I think it will help any leader become a better leader. You ever heard the term, it's all part of the job? You ever heard that? Somebody may, may be referring to a, a particular job or a particular uh, uh, part of a job. They say, well, it's just, it's just part of the job, you know? Well, it's just something that it, may, it might be a positive or a negative, but someone just says, well, it just comes with the territory, you know? It's just to be expected in this line of work. It's all part of the job. Tonight, as we come into 1 Peter chapter 5, we're going to see that for a pastor, there's some things that it's just part of the job. But I'm not going to use the word job, because for a pastor, it's much more than a job. It's a role. It's a life. And I want to tell you tonight, as we come to our passage, that I don't take, and I hope you understand this, I don't take these verses and passages like this, or in 1 Timothy chapter 3, or in Titus uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3, I don't take what's written to pastors lightly. Um, I, I believe that a pastor's role, and a pastor's position, and a pastor's leadership Uh, is a great one, but it comes with great responsibility, and it comes with uh, great opportunity. And so tonight, as we get into this, I I really think that I've been challenged, I know I've been challenged by it, and I think you'll be helped by it. Uh, You're going to get a little bit of my heart tonight and see kind of some struggles that I deal with and that pastors deal with, and then some challenges, and I think it'll be an encouragement. So let's take our Bible, and let's go to 1 Peter chapter number 5, and I want you to stand with me if you would. 1 Peter chapter 5, and I'm going to read these verses tonight, <clears throat> excuse me, out of 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1. Peter writes this, the elders which are among you I exhort. Now, very quickly, the word elder there, when you look in scripture, there are three particular words that can be used for pastor. It's elder, bishop, and pastor. Those three words are interchangeable. So when you look in Scripture, they all just act, they they all actually talk about a different part of the position. So it would be to many of you, you'll understand this. Uh, I am Dennis. I am a dad. I am a husband. I am a son, and I am a pastor. I'm the same person, but every one of those names carries with it a different role. Does that make sense? It's the same thing with pastor, bishop, and elder. They all carry with it different roles. And we'll see a little bit of that tonight. We're not going to really get into it. Uh, that would be a message out of, out of uh, 2 Timothy. But when we look at this, Peter writes, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be, that shall be revealed. 
Now here's my exhortation, my encouragement, and my challenge to you, pastors. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples or examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. It's a great passage, Peter. He's kind of, remember, he's still been writing about suffering. We'll see the context of why he speaks specifically to pastors here. But he turns It's almost like he's saying, I want to talk to all you believers and I'm going to put you on pause for just a second. Now, pastors, I want to address you for just a minute. I want to help you for just a minute. And so tonight, as I preach to myself and I'm preaching to Micah, I just remembered he's here and Micah's getting ready to be a pastor. Micah, I need you to come sit right up front. I'm just kidding. But as I preach to the the position of pastor tonight, I believe that you'll be helped. And I know I already have been and I think we'll be strengthened. So let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you would, just take a minute and ask the Lord to speak into your heart tonight. God, speak to me. God, help me to hear from you tonight. And then would you take a moment and tell God that you'll make a decision based upon how he speaks to you. Dear Lord, we come before you and we just thank you, God, for your love. We thank you for your care. We thank you, Father, for uh, the opportunity that we have to serve you and to be in your house tonight, to hear from you. And Lord, I pray that as we go through this message time that you would speak into our lives. Speak to me again, Lord. You've challenged me uh, even this afternoon as I was wrapping up studying. Lord, you just uh, once again spoke to my heart. And so God, I pray that you'd speak into each of our lives tonight. We love you. We commit this time to you. We We ask you that it would not just be another time of preaching, but, Father, that your spirit would encourage and strengthen us and that you would help us this evening. We love you, God. Thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. I think tonight, while while the message is specifically to a pastor... I think it's going to help us understand some things. Number one, every one of us, I said this a moment ago, are in leadership. And if you're a leader of anything, you can always learn from other leaders or other uh, different uh, um, instruction for leaders. But then I also believe that tonight will help, it'll help you understand a pastor. I think tonight will help you understand some of the things that, that a pastor faces some of my struggles, some of uh, a pastor's struggles, things that maybe uh, you might not entirely be aware of. And just like your job and your life has uh, specific struggles and pressures, even so uh, a pastor's life does. And so tonight, if you'll let me, I'm going to kind of open up the door a little bit and be transparent and let you see into a pastor's life to see some of the, uh, the struggles and some of the, uh, the pressures and things that come along with the role of pastor. Now, I want to preface the message by saying, in everything I'm saying tonight, it is not at all going to be an pastoring, a, a, a saying, pastoring is so hard and I want you to really feel bad for me and please, when you leave, tell me how wonderful I am. That's not the goal in tonight's message. Okay, if you walk up to me afterwards and tell me I'm wonderful, I will know you didn't listen to the message. There are some of you I'm going to call out right now because you're already planning on it, but I'm just kidding. So the the goal in the message is not at all to highlight a pastor and say there needs to be some sort of expectation of you on how you treat a pastor. That's, That's for a different message. But tonight, tonight is about, and here's how a believer can learn from a passage like this. In order to really understand why Peter does this, we need to recall some things. Let's recall, first of all, the time in which Peter is writing. He's writing at a time when believers are undergoing, at that point, they are undergoing the most intense persecution that they had seen up to that point. But the sad thing is it's about to get worse. 
Do you know that when Peter writes the, the book of Peter, written somewhere in, in probably um, 58 to 62 AD, somewhere in there, it would be 10 years before the destruction of Rome. Before, um, uh, I forget who it is that would come to in 72. When, who was that, Micah? Do you remember? All right, not Rome, excuse me, Israel. Uh, Nero would come in in seven, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, Rome does not sound right. Uh, Israel, uh, this would be, of course, we know Israel was already under a lot of pressure, but in 72 AD is when Nero would send troops in and much would take place and um, uh, Rome would, would be destructed and Nero would blame that upon the Christians. And so they are, things are about to get a lot worse for the believers. Now, here's why that's important. Peter's been writing about struggling. He's been writing about pressures. He's been writing about uh, undergoing suffering. And if you think about it, writing about suffering is not an easy topic to write about. Hey, you're going to suffer and you need to smile through it. Hey, I know you're in a hard time, but suck it up and move on. Hey, I know things are really rotten right now, but you better put a smile on your face and just wave at everybody. You know, essentially, this is what Peter is doing. Hey, listen, things are horrible, but you can trust God. That's a hard topic to write on. That's a hard thing to speak to. And Peter, he's speaking to people who have already been feeling the pressures and tensions of, uh, of being a Christian and being marginalized for that Christianity. And he knows that uh, the Roman government is against Christianity. He knows that the Jewish religion to which many of these people had come out of, he knows that they are against Christianity. And yet, Peter doesn't know that right around the corner are some darker days. And right around the corner, things are going to get much worse. And I want you to imagine if the regular, if the lay people, those who weren't in responsibility, if they are going through persecution, how much more pressure do we think these pastors were under during these early days? They faced the pressures of decision-making faced the pressures of increased scrutiny from uh, local officials. They, they faced the, uh, the, uh, uh, the judgment of local officials. Uh, we have to know that when Nero would persecute or when the Jewish Pharisees, the uh, Sanhedrin or those, would persecute a Christian or a group of Christians, they would go to the church, and you know who they would get? The pastor. Hey, let's get him. Let's persecute the leader. If we can, if we can get the leader, the sheep will scatter. That's the mindset. So a pastor would face all of that. A pastor would face uh, the pressures of hosting these assemblies, often in their own home and to the detriment of their own family. These pastors would know that they are answering to the Lord, that they don't answer to man, but they answer to God for how they lead. They would be looked to by these people who were struggling, yet the pastor is struggling, but in the midst of him struggling, others who are struggling look to him for answers and expected him to know uh, the answer and have help for every situation that they were facing as if he would be immune to the struggles. Does that make sense? That would be happening. If the church would be persecuted, the pastor would be the one made the example. And they would be called upon to give direction during these dark, dark days. Now, this doesn't mean that the leader is more important than the people. It just means that he had some unique pressures on him, and Peter understood that. And so I want you to take your Bible tonight and notice as Peter writes to these pastors, these men under these pressures, I want you to see, first of all, tonight, what we're calling the encouragement. The encouragement. Excuse me, if you go to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 1, notice what Peter says. He says, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. The elders which are among you, I exhort. The word exhort right there, it means to, uh, to encourage and to challenge. It means to encourage and to challenge. When Peter is writing and says, I exhort you, he's saying, I'm, I'm coming alongside you to encourage, to help you, but also to challenge you. I want you to see very quickly that he understood that the pastor's even before he could get to a challenge, Peter understood the pastors needed some encouragement. 
They needed some encouragement. Hey, the elders are among you. I exhort, here's my encouragement. I am also an elder. Listen, I know who you are. I know what you're going through. I've experienced what you're experiencing. I've been a witness of Christ's suffering. Remember the context of the book? He's been writing about suffering. Now he says this. Hey, I saw with my eyes the suffering of Christ. I saw the worst, but then I was also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Many people believe this is him referring again to the Mount of Transfiguration which he does in 2 Peter. But he refers here to the Mount of Transfiguration or to the risen Christ. Either way, here's what Peter is saying. I've seen the worst and I've seen the best. Hey, I've seen the worst and I've seen the best. I wanna exhort you. I wanna encourage you this way. I know where you're at. I know what you're going through. I've seen the suffering but I've also seen the glory that shall be revealed. I've seen what's waiting for us. I've seen what God has in store. What did Peter understand? Peter understood that sometimes people erroneously think that pastors are like superheroes. Sometimes people think that a pastor has some sort of special ability. That pastor is like a a superman that has a spirit of steel that nothing is going to get through. And a, a pastor is not affected by criticism or fear or doubt or depression. But none of those things are true. A pastor is a human being just like every every single one of us, and every one of us need encouragement. Every one of us needs someone, and many times multiple someones. To just come alongside and say, hey, hey, I I got your back. Hey, I know what you're going through. And maybe I don't understand it completely, but I've got, I'm here for you. This is what Peter is saying to them. And we know that leadership, any kind of leadership, it brings with it unique responsibilities. But for a pastor, some of the unique responsibilities, and again, remember, I'm not doing a pity party. We're just going to, I'm just going to open up to you a little bit. Some of the unique responsibilities of a pastor is that a pastor's position often brings with it loneliness and isolation. Pastors are not more special than anyone else, but they do have a very unique job and are pulled from many angles. And it's important for us to understand that. And a pastor is often dealing with people from every angle. Let me give you an example. Lately, I don't know if you've heard the news, But apparently there's a big pandemic that's been taking place in our country. A pastor, and I've I've talked to many pastors, and almost almost every pastor I've talked to, I've talked to since, since March 15th, March 8th in some areas, every single pastor I've talked to have said something along the lines of this. Things have slowed down. But if it makes sense, I'm busier now than I've ever been. Say, okay, why don't you explain that? And I I got it. I understand exactly what they're saying. I say, well, I feel like now I have more people pulling at me than ever before. Let me give you some thoughts and a couple examples. With this pandemic that's been taking place, You have people on this far end that say, Pastor, everything's a conspiracy theory. Pastor, ignore it all. Pastor, there is no COVID-19. Pastor, you're an idiot if you even refer to COVID-19 because it doesn't exist. Then you have over here, you have people who say, Pastor, I can't believe that we're having in-person services. I mean, don't you know, we should not be meeting until next January. There, there's not a vaccine out yet. Pastor, another source, who learned it off of the website because it was listed somewhere on Wikipedia <laughs> that this is the deadliest, most fiercest, changing virus that the world has ever seen or will ever see. Pastor, this is the mark of the beast. And I'm exaggerating this thought a little bit, but I'm not, I'm not lying to say Pastors through this have had people on each end of the spectrum say, 
I can't believe you aren't with me. And what does that do? Well, that kind of isolates a pastor a little bit. Why? Because I think a, a balanced pastor is going to kind of fall in the middle and say, okay, there, there might be some conspiracy things to it. It might not be as, as intense as they're making. Okay, but I also understand that there is a sickness out there and, and maybe, maybe we need to, to tread lightly on some things and have some wisdom with this. But here's the truth that often the decision of the pastor is a decision that satisfies no one. There are other areas. I use COVID, but there are other areas. There's areas of plans for the future. And I praise the Lord for our church's spirit with purchasing the property because we haven't had much of this. But I have been a part of churches. I remember, uh, if I can use it as an example, we had a, the church that my dad passed us in Lakewood at one time. My dad, he said... To us staff men, he said, hey, and we, we owned a shopping center right there. And, and uh, the shopping center would be our offices and different Sunday school rooms. And there was one, one area, one room of the shopping center, one uh, um, storefront of that shopping center that was really just dilapidated and had been a storage room. And, and my dad is the pastor. He said, hey, I want you staff guys to get over to uh, suite number eight called it suite number eight. Once you get over suite number eight, and this week you guys get it all cleaned up. Let's, let's make sure the rooms are good to go in there. Let's get it painted. Let's remodel it. I want you guys to take this week and get that done. We've got a Sunday school class that's gonna start meeting in there. They've already been meeting the last few weeks, but let's, let's remodel it. And dad, I don't know if you remember this, but we went in and, and we remodeled this room. We got in and gutted it and painted it and uh, put sheetrock up where it needed it, replaced lights, and we got into suite number eight and redid it. You know what happened on Sunday? That Sunday school teacher got there. And that Sunday school teacher went, what did you do to my classroom? And came in the office. And I remember I was sitting in my office getting ready for, for uh, the 10 o'clock or 9.30 hour. We had 9.45. And, and I remember she came in and, and just, what, what did you do? And I was like, made it nicer. <laughs> we took down the nails and things, the broken glass. We like cleaned it up. And she said, don't you know that I spent hours, I spent hours cleaning the one wall that you painted. I invested, and, and I forget everything that this teacher did, but she began to just, uh, uh, just go off. And I was like, uh, at that time, it was a great answer. This is a great answer for any staff member. You need to go talk to pastor. <laughs> That's what I said. I said, you, you need to go talk to pastor. It was his idea. It's just deflecting. And I just, I just said her to pastor. And you know what? After church, after church, we walked out on the porch. And you know, the first thing I heard, first thing I heard was that teacher complaining about how the pastor ruined her classroom. Here's the pastor trying to help, trying to, hey, hey, we care about what your class is doing. And here's people that say, your answer where you're at is not good enough. You say, pastor, why are you telling us this? I'm telling you to help you understand that pastors, if I can say it this way, pastors are people too. And sometimes decisions are made that may not be agreed with, but a pastor still needs that encouragement. This is what Peter understood. He says, hey, I'm an elder. Hey, I'm with you. Hey, I understand what you're going through. I've been there and I've seen it. And before we see the challenge or the instruction, uh, the rest of the exhortation from him, I just want to say today that as a pastor, I'm thankful for our church. I'm thankful for the encouragement that you give me. But don't stop. Don't stop trying to encourage the pastor. Don't stop trying to encourage the staff. Don't stop trying to encourage them. Why? Because sometimes with the position comes a little bit of isolation. And every now and then, someone just needs to come alongside and say, hey, I get it. This is why at our church, I'm so thankful for this, but why we have pastors come in frequently every now and then we'll have a pastor come in just to speak and we'll be a blessing to them. We haven't done much of it during COVID, but last year especially, just having a guy come in and, and uh, hey, we just want you to know that we appreciate your ministry in Spokane or your pastoring in Goldendale. We appreciate what you're doing over on the west side. Why? Because pastors need someone to encourage them. 
I see tonight that pastors need encouragement. Peter knew that, and he writes of the encouragement. Notice, secondly, if you will, the, the instruction. Because the part of, part of exhorting that we see here, I'm just knocking my notes down. The part of exhorting that we see here, first off, is encouragement, but the second part of it is instruction. There's also some challenge to the flock of God. If you would, verse number two. Verse number two, where Peter says this, feed the flock of God. Fle- feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over the, God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. I see Peter giving across a, 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 a twofold instruction here. Number one, he says you need to feed the flock. A pastor's responsibility is to feed the flock. Now, the reason it refers to the people as the flock here is because we, all of us, we are sheep. The word of God often refers to us as sheep. Jesus is the chief shepherd, pastors as the under shepherd. And so that's why it's the word flock right here. But the word feed is what I want to focus in on. Because the word feed in this particular passage, we would read feed and we would think about eating But he's not simply saying you need to feed the flock with food. He's not even saying you need to just feed them spiritually. While that is part of it, the word food or the word feed here, it means to tend to as a shepherd tends to sheep. Peter is giving us a command that was given to him. What was the command given to him? John chapter 21. You remember John chapter 21, Peter had gone back to fishing. He said, I go a fishing, and he took others with him that were, he was influencing, and then they were out fishing all night, didn't catch anything. Jesus was, was there on the shore. They knew it was him. They went, they met him. They had a meal with him, and Jesus said to Peter, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, lovest thou me? Lord, thou knowest all things. You know that that I love you. Then feed my sheep. What was Jesus saying to Peter? He was saying to Peter, hey, Peter, you have an obligation of influence and an opportunity for influence. Don't mess it up. Peter, feed the flock. And now Peter is writing that to these elders. Hey, feed the flock. Hey, you need to tend to the flock as if you were tending to sheep. Use your influence and invest in people. A pastor is instructed to tend to those who are entrusted to him. Yes, this involves giving the people the word of God, spiritually feeding people. A pastor should literally be involved in spiritually giving things to God's people. And and I'm thankful for our church family and how we give the word of God through all of our, our classes and our life groups and different things of that nature. But a big part of the pastor's ministry is not just preparing, making meals for the people and putting emphasis on the word of God. A big part of the pastor's ministry is just learning to tend to the flock. Psalm 23 is a great place to understand the leadership of a pastor by looking at the leadership of a shepherd. Just a few things. What is a shepherd supposed to do? A shepherd cares for the sheep. A shepherd knows, tries to know the needs of the sheep. A, a shepherd guides the sheep, protects the sheep. A pastor encourages the sheep. A pastor has a, a staff that helps keep the sheep. It's interesting that the Greek word that we would use for the word staff is connected with the Hebrew word that's used for the word staff in Psalm 23. The literal staff can also be referring in New Testament sense to a staff of a pastor like the assistants and stuff, they help. They're like that staff helping keeping things in line and helping keeping the sheep. It's a very interesting study, totally for a different lesson, but it's cool. But here's what I want us to see and understand tonight is that a pastor's first responsibility is to feed the flock. Hey, tend to them. But then Peter says how? By taking the oversight. By taking the oversight. The phrase taking the oversight from its roots, we would get the word, the bishop. We would get the word bishop there, to bishop. Uh, To bishop would mean to diligently look after. This is kind of how, how 
the instruction to feed is supposed to take place. Hey, uh, Peter writes to these, these leaders. He says, hey, I want to encourage you. Take the oversight. There's, there's proactiveness here. There's some responsibility here. You need to assume the God-given task that the Lord has given you. Be proactive. Don't just sit back and let things happen. No, you feed the flock by taking the oversight. You feed the flock by paying attention and trying to know the state of the flock. And yes, there's always going to be things that the pastor doesn't know. And that's okay. But there needs to be a time when the pastor is willingly saying, hey, I want to know what's taking place. I want to know what's happening. Hey, what's going on in your life? Hey, how's the family? Hey, what's going on with the kids? Why would a pastor even care about all of that? Because that's taking the oversight. And then he says, if you look at it, he says, taking the oversight Uh, Verse number uh, um, two, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. We'll look at that more in depth in just a second. But having a willingness to say, I want to be involved in people's lives. And we'll see that again in just a moment. But this is the idea of taking oversight. I see here tonight, Peter, he, he gives the encouragement. He gives the instruction. Thirdly, he gives the warning. He gives the warning. Notice, if you will, the second part of verse 2, where Peter writes this. Taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being Lord, lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. Here's Peter giving a warning. Hey, don't do it this way. Do it this way. Don't do it this way. Do it this way. Oh, and don't do this, but do this. What's the three warnings that Peter gives? First, he says, not by constraint, but willingly. By constraint is having the attitude of, I have to. Oh, I have to. Did you know that any of us, we can serve in that way? I hate to admit this, but there's been times... And I'm sure there will continue to be times. There's been times where I come on a Sunday and get up to preach, and in the back of my mind, I'm doing it because I have to. And you say, Pastor, how dare you? You're right. You're right. There's times when I'll get up, and there's times when I counsel. There's times when I go on outreach. There's times when I make visits. There's times when I make phone calls and answer emails and send text messages, and there's times, and I hate to admit it, but there's probably more than I would want to admit. Times when I do it by constraint. It's just part of the job, and so I'm just kind of, all right, man, I got to do this today. Because you know what? To be honest, there's some times, there's some times when I just want to stay in bed. How many of you have those days? Good. I just want to make sure I'm not the only one. There's times when when I just want to, you know, kind of roll over, punch the snooze button, and call in sick. I'm done. Here's what Peter's saying. Hey, don't do that. Don't lead in that way. Don't, Don't do it because you have to. Peter says a pastor should lead willingly. A pastor and and really any of us can often lead in such a way that our service is no longer an outflow of love for God than we serve God by serving people, but instead it becomes an obligation and a job and a chore. And uh, though it's really interesting, that phrase, not by constraint, uh, we would get our our English term of dragging a dog on a leash. That's, that's the, the terminology that we would get. How many of you have ever walked a dog that didn't want to be walked? Man, we've walked a dog, maybe it didn't want to be walked, or you, uh, our dog, Roy, he drags you. But I remember growing up and having a dog. I remember our, my favorite dog ever, his name was Butterball. What a name. I don't know who thought of that, but I'll blame my sisters. Remember, there'd be times I'd be this little kid walking Butterball, and he'd just sit down. And maybe you've seen the videos going around. There's one going around recently of a guy walking his dog and a lady from an apartment complex videoing this guy walk walk his dog. And like for five minutes, the guy's going like this and the dog's just sitting there. The guy's pulling him. Literally, the dog is just dragging. 
At one point, the dog is like laying on his back and the owner is literally pulling him down the road. And I, I was just dying laughing. But that's what, that's what the word, get this, that's what the word constraint means. To be drug like a dog. So it's like the Lord is saying, hey, here's your responsibility. And pastors at times are like that dog, fine, God. I'll just do this because you're making me. I'll just, and being drug along. He says, don't do it that way. No pastor willingly. No doubt there are times when a pastor has lack of motivation and lack of that encouragement. But you know what? God's grace can help. I love Philippians 2.13. It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I see, he says, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Not for filthy filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. We need to hurry. He says this, that word filthy lucre, it means to have base gain, to do it for dishonest gain. The phrase not for filthy lucre, it means driven by dishonorable motives. Someone would hear the phrase lucre and they would immediately think of money, but it's more than just money. It's uh, someone leading because of dishonorable motives, maybe because of the perks or the value that a pastoring brings. And a pastor should never be in ministry because of the perks or the gains of ministry because a pastor should do this with a ready mind. He should mind with a ready mind. What does the phrase mean, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind? That phrase, a ready mind, it means to be serving with eagerness. The pastor should serve with an eagerness and an innocence that just expects God to work. I serve as Christ served. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let God bless me how he wants to bless me, pay me how he wants to pay me. I'm going to let God work in my life how he wants to work in my life. The pastor has a responsibility to not do it for the wrong reasons. Why? Because a pastor is not a hireling. A hireling does things for the wrong reasons. John, remember this? John chapter 10. <coughs> Excuse me. John chapter 10, verse 11 through 14. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his, giveth his life for the sheep, but he that is an hireling and not a shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. The wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling. He's doing it because it's a job. It's money. It's just a, a way to, to, to make a living. He careth not for the sheep. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and have known of mine. And a pastor should not lead for dishonorable motives, trying to, uh, wanting the position or wanting the perks or wanting the finances or wanting uh, the, the blessings that come or the notoriety that comes with pastoring. Peter also said to not do it as uh, a Lord over God's people, but instead as an ensample or an example to the flock. A danger in pastoring and really in any form of leadership is to get what is called the Messiah syndrome. The Messiah syndrome is somebody that abuses the authority they have and begins to uh, lord over people's faith. Paul had to deal with this when he wrote to the church at Corinth. There had been men that had come in that had got that Messiah syndrome that had begun to say, here's what you need to do and I will be the Holy Spirit in your life. And they began to lord over God's people. Can I tell you right now that a pastor should understand that the church has one Lord. You as a believer, you have one Lord, and it is not this man. I should never lead by being a Lord over God's heritage. It's God's people. But instead, here's the instruction that Peter gives. Be an example. You know what this means? This means that Peter understood that a pastor is to say, here's the instruction Here's the direction, follow me, and we're all going that way. We're supposed to follow Christ's example. Notice what Luke wrote. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1, Luke said this, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Jesus didn't just teach here is the way. Jesus showed here is the way. That should be how a pastor leads, by Example. 
He sets an example for the flock. Christ was the ultimate picture of leadership because he set the example. And a pastor should not just tell people what to do. A pastor should demonstrate to people what to do. This is why many of you have come to me before and you've asked, Hey, pastor, here's, here's, what I, here's my situation. What should I do? And I might tell you, hey, here's some biblical principles. But I've said this to many people. I'm not going to make the decision for you. I'm, I'm not going to lord over you. I'll give you some direction, but you have the same Holy Spirit that I have. You have the same word of God that I have. I don't have some special connection to God that, that you don't. We all have the Holy Spirit of God in us. And while a pastor has that leadership role and should be able to say, here's some direction, here's some counsel, here's some advice, the pastor is never to be a lord over God's people. We've seen tonight the encouragement, the instruction, the warning. Notice lastly, the future. Verse 4. Peter says, When the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. What's Peter doing? First off, I want you to see that Peter is reminding the pastors that they are not the chief shepherd. (laughs) A lot of pastors have the mentality, the buck stops here. Don't you know that God placed me here and I will put my foot down? And I'll be honest, there's some times when a pastor does need to stand his ground. I can remember in our early days, and I've shared the stories before of people that have tried to uh, maybe cause a stir or something, and there's been some folks that I've literally that is not God's direction going to do that. That is not God's direction for our church. That is not God's direction uh, for, for this place. And there's been some people I've had to come and not kick them out of church, but just come to and say, listen, you, you, are, you are walking borderline heresy right here. And we're not going down that road. So there's times when a pastor does need to stand the ground. But a pastor's mentality should not always be the buck stops here. A pastor's mentality should always be the buck stops here. He's the chief shepherd. This is his place. So we're going to lead and we're going to go and we're going to fulfill the great commission. And we're going to do all those things according to his will and his plan. So Peter is reminding, hey, the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ... Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, first, uh, to the church at Colossae, Colossians chapter one and verse number eighteen, that he is the head of the church, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Why? Because he's the head; he is the chief shepherd. So Peter reminds them of this, but notice also what Peter says. He says, "Hey, he's coming back. He shall return. Right when he shall appear, you know what's going to happen, pastors? You're going to receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away." Peter gives three very quick thoughts, four quick thoughts. Number one, that Jesus is the chief shepherd. Hey, pastor, it's not you. Hey, pastor, it's not your people. It's you're the under shepherd. He tells him that Jesus is coming. Hey, pastors, you need to be reminded that Christ will return. And that's something good for every believer to think about. Man, it could be today. It could be tonight that Jesus Christ raptures us up. That'd be all right with me. He mentions that He's the chief shepherd, that Christ is coming. But then he also mentions that accountability will take place. Accountability will take place. You're going to receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Hey, there's account of you. You're going to receive a crown based upon how you stewarded your leadership. But then also I see that he gives this thought that with Christ, he's bringing a reward. And there are, there's a fact that Peter is mentioning, hey, Jesus sees your sacrifice. Jesus sees your leadership. He sees your spirit. And he's bringing with him a reward for those who lead. There's an interesting story behind the reward here, the receive a crown. It's a a reference to the Olympics. During that time, they would have the, uh, what would be equivalent to the Olympic Games, and uh, they would make for the winner, they would make a, a crown out of different figs or different trees and different plants and different things like that that would be on the, on the uh, a victor's head, anything. But what was worth something was understanding that that crown represented the sweat, and the blood, and the tears, and the sacrifice 
the years of effort, the years of, ex- uh, of exerting oneself. And so that crown was something that the athlete would desire. Why? Because I, I'm putting my all in. I sure hope that I can get the victor's crown. Here's what Peter is writing to pastors. He's saying, hey, God sees your sweat. God sees your tears. God sees your effort. God sees the work that nobody else sees. God sees the hours that nobody else sees. God sees the sacrifices and the phone calls and the visits. And God sees the hospital calls. And God sees all of that. And when God appears, he's going to reward you. Now, here's where I want to close. How do we learn from this? Now, I know how I can learn from it. There's a lot a pastor can learn. But if I'm sitting in this room tonight and I'm not a pastor, I'm not on staff, I'm not really in that leadership position, how can I learn? I have four questions for you and we're done. Number one, are you encouraging leadership? Remember that first one, I exhort you who also am an elder. Peter understood the encouragement that leadership needed. Are you being an encouragement? Not not to just a pastor, but encouraging other leaders involved in your life. Specifically a pastor, yes, but are we encouraging? Number two, am I following leadership? There's ways to follow leadership, and that's for a different message as well. But I think, what could I learn? If I'm sitting in here and I'm not a pastor, what could I walk away with? Well, am am I encouraging my leaders? Am I following my leaders? Am I praying for my leaders? Understanding that everyone wants someone praying for them. But then that fourth thought is, every one of us are leaders, so here's the question. How's your leadership? Hey, mom, how's your leadership in the home? Hey, dad, how's your leadership with the family? Do this because I told you. Or is it leading not by constraint, but willingly not being a Lord over them, but an example to them? You see, there's so many ways that we can learn from this passage tonight for our leadership. Whether I'm a music pastor, a church planter, a youth pastor, a Sunday school teacher, a life group leader, a faithful member, a greeter, an usher, whatever I'm doing, somebody's following me. How am I leading them? How am I leading? Because what's good for a pastor, what's good for a pastor's leadership is good for anyone's leadership. That's what I believe. What's good for a mom in the home is good for everyone in the home. What's good for a dad in the home is good for everyone in the home. We can all learn from it. And so tonight, as we look upon a message like this, a little bit of a different passage, a little bit of a different message, but oh, how it's helped me to understand, man, pastoring should not be taken lightly. It should help all of us go. Leadership should not be taken lightly. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.